Hello, hello, and welcome to the 13th episode of Pints of Football. We have with us Ayusha and myself, Himanshu, and we'll be taking you through all the things which have happened this week, starting from the FA Cup final and what a heartbreak it was for me. A quick overview, what Enha got right, what Enha got wrong, and what Pep has to think about going into the Champions League final. A few transfer rumours as well, now that the transfer season starts in a couple of weeks. We have Mason Mount, we have Declan Rice, we have an update from Benzema as we speak, and Messi leaving PSG as well. Of course, the one last thing that we need to talk about, a little less about football and more about the antics and the drama, we also have a little bit about Mourinho and what happened in the Europa League final, Roma versus Sevilla. So without further ado, let's start off. We're recording on 4th of June, which is a Sunday, and which means Imamshu had a rough night because we just wrapped up the FA Cup final. The Manchester derby, I think it's an FA Cup final which probably seemed to have a lot of noise and a lot of weight and a lot of hype around it. A final after a very long time. And in the end, Manchester City clinched the game 2-1 based on two volleys from Milkai Gundogan. One on his right foot, the other on his left foot. One was absolutely mind-boggling. The fastest goal scored ever in the history of the FA Cup final. And the other, which was a very smart freaking by Kevin De Bruyne, but a ball which almost, or rather a volley which almost just crawled into the net and left everybody in the United defense and David De Gea ball ball watching. So without wasting any time, Himamshu, Manchester City lined up the way they we knew they would. It was the same lineup, no Mahrez, Bernardo Silva, Grealish, uh, Foden coming off the bench. John Stone stepping into midfield. Nothing new, nothing surprising from Pep Guardiola. But what did Eric Ten Hag, according to you, did right or wrong in uh, wrong in this game? A lot of things, obviously, that from Eric Ten Hag is expected in such a match. He obviously wanted to control the midfield. You could say that Anthony was injured, so he removed Anthony. He brought on an extra midfielder instead uh, with Fred. And Fred has a lot of, like, he can close down people really well and he's really good at man-marking. Uh, so that's what he put Fred on Kevin De Bruyne, which was a good move. Kevin De Bruyne did move into uh, different phases of the field. And you could argue the two times that it actually, you know, he was able to assist. The first one was obviously to Gundogan, which was, uh, it wasn't an assist per se. He was going Haaland against, winning the ball and then yeah, De Bruyne. Yeah, De Bruyne contesting a header yes. with uh, one of the defenders. But you can't say that's an assist. Obviously, Fred assist, did yeah. have him. Uh, yeah, then what happened was, of course, the corner, which obviously Fred couldn't be on him at that time. So Fred did a decent job, I would say, on Kevin De Bruyne. In fact, it was such a good job that he had to be taken off the field on the 71st minute. So imagine if we had had an equalizer, we'd have had 30 minutes without De Bruyne. Uh, so in that way, good moves by Ten Hag. The worst thing that he could have done is really pushing for a De Gea extension right now because De Gea was absolutely pathetic this game. 15 seconds is not an excuse for you not to be ready to face that shot. He was even, you know, if you count the length of the goalpost in terms of 100%, he was 30%. He was much more closer to the ball. He was much more closer to the post where it went in. He could have dived. Instead, he was just caught on his feet. He was just, it felt like there were bricks attached to his feet. He did not even move, not even attempt to save. Of course, nothing to take away from Gundogan's shot it was amazing, but... There is a lot more that De Gea could have done on that shot. So, very disappointing from De Gea again. Uh, and to, for us to have conceded in, in under 15 seconds. I remember it was the game was literally buffering on my TV. And then I saw them celebrating. It was 
it was a nightmare of a start how crucial do you think was that first goal let's say that gundogan screamer i know you're you're blaming degea but i think it was a very very clean strike as close to the right corner as it could have been i think we can disagree on that but how crucial do you think was that goal in the outcome uh, of the game i think regardless city would have probably scored because the amount of possession they usually have and you know like how must they have figured out football as a game as against united uh so obviously like considering so early on i thought if let's say city had gone on to win 4-0 etc then you would say that goal was crucial but that did not happen actually united were pretty disciplined in their defense uh, apart from of course they am not including in this conversation of a pretty disciplined defense uh, apart from him it was pretty good in terms of a defensive performance they stuck to their details stuck to the men that they were supposed to stick to haland did not have that much of a freedom even though uh, pep guardiola did give the team a lot of freedom to play those long balls which usually does not give in such games uh so yeah full marks to united's defense and their organization in midfield uh, so to answer your question maybe not a super crucial goal because it did not win 4-0 uh, but yeah having said that a goal is a goal and that's pretty much what led them to win on uh, win the game at the end of the day i think with the way united had lined up i mean I think Ten Hag also lined up United the way we thought he would, which is be compact defensively and then just try to hit on the counter and make something happen. And and fair play to him. I don't think he has the players right now to go toe to toe with Manchester City uh, in a pressing game or you know try to play around uh, the City press. That's totally understandable. But yeah, when you play with a strategy like that to go a goal down and then expect to have two clear cut opportunities to score against Manchester City is something which is extremely tough. So I think I think yeah, that that. first game i i was afraid it might just kill the game but even though it did not kill the game it just uh, i mean it just it's just that much more difficult to score two goals past manchester city another question i have quickly have before we start focusing on city is what do you have to say about the decision of starting eriksen in this game now i know eriksen is a is a, a very high quality technically gifted footballer can move the ball around in uh, in between spaces he can find passes which other players cannot but in a game like this where city are known to you know overload the midfield with johnstone stepping in would it have been wiser to start somebody like a mctominay uh somebody with more energy you know because anyway you were not going to have a lot of the ball in this game correct i mean this is of course on the backdrop of an argument that me and aisha had that a possible mason mount would be a better replacement to eriksen uh, but you're right again in this game eriksen does have a lot of impact in a dead ball situation but how many of those dead ball situations can you actually have against man city right and of course he was outplayed in midfield hardly got the ball the few times he did get the ball he was pretty okay in terms of distributing the ball to either a bruno on the right or a rashford running off the left but of course this was very few instances in between as against what he would probably have against maybe like a fulham as he did against last game right so of course starting eriksen was on in hindsight maybe not the right decision for united moving on to city nothing much to say i mean it's a final at the end of the day and no matter how much how how dominantly or not you win the final it's a victory which counts i think after the first goal city also became more cautious i think it would have been a much more different game if they hadn't gotten that early goal maybe they would have tried to be more decisive in the way they played not that doesn't mean that they played bad a couple of things to point out over here though i don't think jack relish had a great game and i'm not saying entirely because of the penalty because I, 
I mean, it was a penalty by the rules of the game, but still, as a player, sometimes you feel bad when you concede a penalty like that, where you have no clue where your hand is. But he did not have a decisive game. Again, another we've mentioned this a lot of times on the podcast that going forward, you know, maybe he has to contribute more uh, in apart from just running past people. And the second thing for City, and this is again nitpicking, is it's now five games or four or five games now that Erling Haaland has gone without a goal. Are these things that should concern City going into the final with Inter Milan? I definitely think these are these are things to you know be of a little bit of concern because knowing Inter Milan, they'll be very defensive in their setup. And if let's say uh, Grealish and Haaland were figured out by, in my opinion, what is a slightly weaker defense in in what Man United have, then there are uh, there is a little bit of concern going into the game because if Haaland's not going to score the goals, I'm I'm sure City do have a lot of other people who can score goals. But just because if, let's say, United have figured out Haaland in terms of, you know, having those two centre-backs sit uh, sit on him, sit a little deeply, that's what Inter Milan will do as well. Behind. Exactly. Inter Milan will do exactly that. Haaland or anybody else, I think that's how Inter Milan play. They don't, you know, press up high. Uh, so that's what's happening. And then Grealish then has a bad day in terms of going up against a good one-on-one defender like he did with Van Bissaka. Maybe Inter Milan will also have his number on that day. Then that could become a cause of concern. But having said that, you also have Phil Foden. You also have Mares on the bench. Mares surprisingly didn't start. Having said that, having you know such a good run on the cup, I think he even scored a hat trick against Sheffield or a yes. place against Sheffield United in the semi final. So it's surprising that he didn't start. So there's so many options just in case Grealish gets figured out. So not too much of a concern, but something to think about for Pep. I think uh, we'll our next episode is going to be the detailed breakdown of the Champions League final. I we but. Just to give a flavor, we are pretty sure that Bernardo Silva is going to start that game. There's no way Bernardo gets dropped. Right. Given Grealish's recent performance, is there a chance that Pep drops Grealish and goes ahead with Foden? Because Foden was was very good when he came on in this game, right? Correct, but that also has to do with maybe Foden knowing how United play and maybe, you know, he's having a point to prove. Because the game was almost wrapped up by then, right? Yeah. United didn't had very few quality chances, and that's when he gave Foden a chance because De Bruyne was being man marked a lot. But then Inter Milan, I I don't see him taking a risk against Inter Milan because this team worked against Real Madrid. Uh, this team yeah. has worked in the Premier League in the last couple of matches as well when it was crucial to win. So I don't see him changing the setup. And one he's thing also is for sure, of, I think that yeah. Inter will press City with much more intensity than what United did, and Inter also have the players who have. Who again? Almost all of their team plays on like extra set of lungs, basically. So it will not be as easy in terms. I'm not saying City had an easy game to win. I'm not saying that City had an easy game to win, but I also don't think that they will be able to move the ball as easily in the final as they were able to against Manchester United. To wrap up this discussion, City are still the team or the favorites to win the final, right? Exactly. I don't think... I mean, let's just base this on facts and not few things which probably went wrong in the United game for City. I still think they're overwhelming favourites for this Champions League final. It's. I feel like, you know, I'm getting that feeling where City, uh, where Liverpool played Tottenham and we were all so sure during the game, before the game and like towards the end as well that Tottenham had no chance. I just feel the same way about this one. Let's just hope it's not as boring a final as Liverpool-Tottenham was and I'll, and I'll be okay with the outcome. So yeah, moving on uh, and ending your misery by discussing this FA Cup final. Again, also, great season for Manchester United, irrespective of the final. Carabao Cup, third place finish. Ten Hag seems to be making the right moves. 
the way the first time United and City met in the Premier League this season, where both Foden and uh, Haaland scored a hat trick, if you told me that United would beat City again in the return fixture in the uh, Premier League and then have such a competitive final, uh, I would be surprised. So full, uh, full complete shout out to Eric Ten Hag. Moving on from the FA Cup final, let's quickly talk about the Europa League final. We will not spend a lot of time on it. Uh, Sevilla are to the Europa League what Real Madrid are to the Champions League except Sevilla are even better at it than what Real Madrid are. This is, I think, their 7th Europa League title. They have not lost 7 finals. This year, they narrowly had to avoid relegation at one point of time. The club has gone through financial battles. They come in, they beat Roma. Jose Mourinho's somewhat, let's say, padded record in European finals came to an end. But Imamshu, for me, what was shocking was the way Roma began this game very, very well in the first half an hour, they took the lead and then they almost dropped back. They stopped playing football. They invited Sevilla. And on top of that, it was it was just very nasty from Roma's side where on every foul, they were crowding the referee. Mourinho, the entire staff, was jumping on the fourth official. It's, it's like after that first goal, him and his team, nobody just wanted to play football anymore. They just wanted to waste time. They just wanted to uh, be hostile towards the referee and try to do affect the outcome of the game in every other way possible, apart from, you know, uh, after actual football. Obviously, uh, Anthony Taylor, the referee, had to issue around 14 yellow cards. Then Mourinho went on. He confronted Anthony Taylor in the parking lot, abused the heck out of him over there. Then while flying out of... Uh, out of the country, Anthony Taylor was abused by Roma fans. Bottles were hurled at him at the airport. Even for Jose Mourinho, I think this is a new low in terms of just being a football manager. I mean, not doing footballing things and doing every other thing. And again, my biggest problem, we'll come to the referee part, but my biggest problem also, it's not like Sevilla took the reins of the game. It was more like Roma after the first goal just didn't want to do anything else. Exactly. It just feels like, you know, Mourinho just wants that attention and it's, it's going away from him. He's trying to stay relevant and he's doing this through non-footballing stuff like, you know, chasing down referees and parking lots. This is what sets, you know, memes. This is what sets culture and he's just sticking to that now. It's no longer about football. I'd be surprised to see how long he lasts even in Roma. Uh, but of course, when these two teams met, Ayusha, it was in, an unstoppable force in Mourinho who's never lost a final with an immobile object, which is Sevilla, who have won so many European finals, right? And uh, unfortunately, one of those records had to come to an end, and it was Mourinho's. Uh, so, Sevilla went on to win. Fair game to them. They played pretty well, and I've seen how good they were against uh, Manchester United. There are also a lot of people arguing that the game against Manchester United, when, you know, literally the crowd overwhelmed United, De Gea to make those stupid mistakes, and for us to lose 3-0 away, Harry we Bagua. were favourites. And only. <laughs> and it's just like, that turned around the season for them, and they escaped relegation very narrowly, but they did escape relegation, and now they have the Europa League uh, in their hands as well. So, hats off to Sevilla, and Roma have to start all over again with Mourinho next season. But why do you think Mourinho does that? I mean, his team started out so well in the first half an hour. They were actually playing great football. What is what is this need to just completely stop doing what you are going doing right immediately? I mean, it's the John Obi Mikel strategy, right? Without having John Obi Mikel, just kill the game, make it not about football, and then win the trophy. That's what he tried. It's almost it, like it, he necessarily not... wants to do the difficult thing. You know, I mean, if if you naturally you have to adapt, it's something different. But it's almost like. When you can go at 100 kilometers an hour, you necessarily press down the brakes. It's like you are suffocating yourself for no goddamn reason. Right. 
I think Mourinho is obviously facing a long. There are calls for getting getting him a long term ban, and I think the way him and his Roma team treated Anthony Taylor, I think he should be getting a long long ban out of this. I think there should be some serious repercussions because yes, it's one thing to be hostile towards the referee, but I think this crossed uh, all boundaries. The next major decision also is Mourinho. Since January, you know, he was asking for a contract annual at AS Roma, and the Roma board. Uh, and I think the, the Roma board re, uh, uh, reacted in the right manner. They said, hang on, you have one more year of your contract. So we will negotiate at the end of the season. And Mourinho, in typical Mourinho fashion, started complaining that I'm having to do everything. The club is not giving me any money. And he's been complaining since six months. Basically, he's been running a public campaign to get a contract renewal. And uh, Roma are in a very precarious spot, right? Because even before Mourinho came, they were eighth and they were sixth. For the past two seasons before he came, last two years, they have been sixth and seventh. This year, they were in a prime position for top four with or without Juventus' ban. And then they went on to, I think, in the last seven games of the uh, of the Serie A, they picked up only one victory. And they missed out on top four because he put all his eggs in the Europa League basket. And he keeps saying Roma don't spend money. Last year, Roma were, I think, the third highest spenders in Italian football. This year, again, you can see they have the third or highest fourth uh, uh, wage bill. They've also signed so many players on, uh, let's say, free transfers. So that's why the net spend looks low. But the club have put in money behind him. So what do you think AS Roma should do? Should they try to renew Mourinho's contract or should they go with somebody else? Because the fan base is completely behind Mourinho. But from a results perspective, the owner, as an owner of AS Roma, might not be happy. Correct. I just feel in terms of a step up from Roma, Roma is doing, they've reached that ceiling, right? To qualify for Europa League probably year on year. And let's say one of the top four of the Italian Serie A falter, they might just sneak into the Champions League. I think that is where Roma will be without further investments. And the Italian League is also suffering a lot. Uh, So maybe Roma will do good to just keep Mourinho, in my opinion, because there are not a lot of these top level managers who can keep them there. Let's say they then shift to anybody else who's available on the market and that might actually cause a lot of dip in terms of Roma's form. Mourinho will keep them in probably the 6th and 7th position unless he, you know, completely has a personality failure. Uh, so for me, maybe just renew Mourinho and, you know, just accept what he is as a person, man. I mean, that's that's the best probably Roma can do. But now we are also at a stage where Mourinho might not want to renew. There are rumours that Paris Saint-Germain might get Jose Mourinho, I'd want Jose Mourinho as their manager. Considering all the shenanigans, considering the style of football where he purposely tries to choke his teams, do you really think it makes sense for any top team to appoint Mourinho as their manager and especially Paris Saint-Germain? Of course not. I mean, that's a team of egos. You need someone who can manage egos and Mourinho will just add more oil to the already burning fire. So no, for sure, no, I would not want Mourinho to go to PSG for PSG's sake. But as a neutral, I'd love that to happen and see just, you know, just the entertainment which might come out from that. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, even I agree. I think from a, if you are a top club right now in England or in Spain or in uh, Germany or anywhere, I mean, I really don't think any club should go anywhere close to Jose Mourinho. Just like no club should go even close to Frank Lampard for football management, <laughs> at least a top flight club. I think Jose Mourinho is some, any club if it wants to do well, at least a high uh, a premier club in Europe, they should completely stay away from him. I think the days where uh, he could go ahead, manage, coexist, inspire, and deal with everything at a top club, I think those days are gone. And yeah, man, I just feel Portugal awaits him once they get rid of this other guy who's doing it right now. I think he'll be perfect for Portugal. Just you know, have a few matches in the season, 
prepare for those two, you know, uh, competitions, your knockout competition, which is so good at Europe, Euro, Euro. Exactly. I think yeah, that toxic, yeah. I think dealing with his toxicity 52 weeks a year is even tough for <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, his players who have to see him week in and week out. Maybe a national team which has to see him five, six Correct. days a week, uh, five, six uh, weeks a year will probably be motivated by it. Correct. Moving from moving from the shenanigans of Mourinho to now all the major transfer uh, transfers just happened and the transfer rumors. So right before we recorded this episode, eighteen or twenty minutes before Himamshu informed me that the Karim Benzema, the current reigning Ballon d'Or winner, Real Madrid legend, winner of I think five Champions League crowns, has finally decided to call an end to his Real Madrid career, and he is following into the footsteps of Cristiano Ronaldo and moving to this to Saudi Arabia. Imamshu, quick reactions. Is this the right time for uh, Benzema to move on? Yeah, I mean, if you look at his record season after season, this is where it's been a pretty disappointing one. He's also faced a lot of injuries. But of course, Benzema is Benzema. Right? I'm sure he would have had a stellar season in Real Madrid. Uh, nevertheless, in next season, if he had kept relatively fit. But it's a good decision for both parties. Real Madrid need to look for that one new striker, long-term one. Mbappe, Harry Kane could be, you know, or Victor Osman even. So that's a new striker that Real Madrid need to look into. Uh, they've also lost Mariano Diaz, who's there, you know, or perennial backup for Benzema. Uh, so he's gone as well. So Real Madrid now have to probably pay uh, a lot of money that now that they know they don't have any strikers on their hand. So uh, that's a little bit of a difficulty, but Real Madrid do have the money, I feel. Uh, Benzema is leaving at the top, I would say. Of course, Real Madrid didn't win uh, much this season. They won the the Copa del Rey, right? Yeah, they won the Copa del yeah, Rey. They, yeah, but of course, that's that's pretty disappointing in Karim Benzema's standards. So, he's leaving in a little bit on the top itself, I would say, uh, having at least one trophy this season. And now he'll retire at uh, Al Itihad. I think that's where the club, that's the club he's going to, uh, facing off against their arch rivals, Al Nasser with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. It will truly be a clash of the titans in a league which none of us will be seeing. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think Benzema has achieved everything he could have at uh, Real Madrid. He's done, given everything possible to the club. I mean, let's not forget he came in there in 2009, I think. Yep. And it, it's been amazing 14 years yeah, that he's it, had. He went Either in that side season where they, got, yeah. where they got Kaka, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Benzema and a couple of other folks who I'm... I think he's the last of the Galacticos right. to leave, right? Exactly. It's an end, it's truly an end of an era for the, for yeah. Real Madrid. Uh, sticking to Real Madrid, Carlo Ancelotti, do you think he stays beyond the season? He's been heavily linked to the Brazil job. The season is over, but there's been no communication from Madrid. I think I, I just recently did see a couple of, you know, communication where Carlo Ancelotti himself is saying that he'll probably, he will stick to Real Madrid for next season. He has a year on his contract. Yeah, I think he will see that out because there's hefty payouts both from the Brazilian national team as well as Real Madrid, as well as Carlo Ancelotti. And they'll all have to face these fines for this to happen. But I feel somehow deep inside, all these parties want that to happen eventually, but without much hassle. So he'll stay on the season, in my opinion, and a clear-cut exit to the Brazilian national team where I'm sure he'll achieve amazing things. And Madrid kind of also have to do a rebuilding job and he might be the right man considering how knows he well he knows the club and how well he knows this squad. So integrating some of the new signings that they have made and they are going to make he might be the right man for the job over there. And speaking of new Madrid signings, this is not yet confirmed, but it's a rumor and it's a very strong rumor that Jude Bellingham will finally be joining Real Madrid on a fee with all the bonuses, rumored to be around 130 million pounds. 
So first thing, uh, three questions. Is this the right move for Jude Bellingham? Is this the right move for Real Madrid? And is 130 million a reasonable amount for a player? I think was just one year left on his contract, right? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously when you have one year left on your contract, such huge sums do really make um, a lot of eyebrows to raise. But I, I feel like Jude Bellingham is an amazing up-and-coming midfielder. He's already the captain of Borussia Dortmund. Shown a lot of leadership qualities. Kept out Henderson from the English national team. Oh my team. god, so, what a job. <laughs> Henderson he kept out. So he's, he's, he's pretty much put every foot right according to me and Real Madrid would be an amazing next step for them. Uh, look at the midfielders they have right now. They'll have um, Kamavinga, they'll have Chuamini and they'll have... Kamavinga, the left back, please. <laughs> and they'll have Jude Bellingham as well. So it's it's a midfield for the generation for generations to come and I'm sure he'll do brilliantly for both. 130 million may be a little too expensive and you know one year is left on his contract but I'm sure they'll pay dividends uh, come next five years. But he years. surely has to be starting right at Madrid with 130 million. He will not be going the route which let's say Chuameni or Kamavinga went in the initial year that Madrid where they were not starting games. Chuameni is still not starting. Kamavinga still has not been able to break into the midfield triumvirate. Surely Bellingham is to be the first name when you're putting down the midfield. Correct. I mean, that's definitely something to argue. And that's why they are signing him with that kind of money, right? They expect him to provide an immediate solution, not somebody who settles into that lineup. Exactly. I mean, it'll be obviously when you see, you know, uh, someone like Jude Bellingham, it's been quite some time before since, uh, you know, very prominent Englishman left to Real Madrid. Uh, I think Beckham was the last one before Michael Owen. Of course, there was Kieran Trippier in between who went to Atletico, but I don't think we can include him. Uh, so, it's good for England now that they'll have a midfielder with a very different different experience as compared to the rest of the midfield that they have. Um, so, good for all parties involved, I think. Big challenge for Bellingham. Let's see what he does. So, moving from one part of Spain to a player who might interest another part of Spain, Lionel Messi's tenure at Paris Saint-Germain has definitely come to an end. It has been confirmed in no, uh, no clear words by... Uh, Galtier himself and there are strong rumours now that Messi also might end up in Saudi Arabia and then there are obviously those persisting rumours that Barcelona will pull off some kind of financial uh, black magic to get him back to the club. Where do you think Messi go? First of all, what do you think of Messi's tenure at PSG? Was it a success or a failure? And secondly, where do you see Messi realistically going? And obviously Inter Inter Miami are always involved whenever we talk about Messi. (laughs) But yeah, I think uh, in terms of Messi, my opinion here is, of course, his time at PSG was a failure. I think the biggest highlight Definitely, of his PSG career yeah. is the you know the applause that he got when he returned from the World Cup. Yeah, where a lot of these PSG players who were French and who were involved in the finals, including I think Mbappe's uh, younger the brother, guard of honor. Yeah, so I think that was the highlight. So that shows how much of a what, what kind of season he had at PSG, right? He, of course, won trophies at PSG, which I think PSG would have won regardless. Anyway, without him, yeah. Yeah, so that's Messi's season. I don't think it was a, it was, it was positive in any sense of the word. But good for PSG, maybe, because now they're moving on from the superstars. Ramos has left as well. Uh, so, Gaultier has a new set of you know, individuals. If Gaultier stays, that is, then he'll have it. <laughs> I am pretty certain they'll probably give him another chance. But yeah, that, uh, that kind of remains to be seen. By the way, they've signed Asensio as well. So, a lot of these up-and-coming, low-profile players they're buying into so that they can implement Gaultier's vision on the team. Uh, we'll see how this one goes. Now, with Ramos gone, with Messi gone, it's just Mbappe who's left, uh, who you can argue is a youngster, so he can you know kind of lead the team and stuff like that. But 
PSG have a good transfer season to look forward to if they can hold on to their players as well. I think Galtier goes. It's just a matter of time. I think the football under him for the last 10 weeks of the season was atrocious. And I really think uh, PSG might just end up going for the Feyenoord manager. I, I really think that's a huge, huge possibility. So, let's see. But, Aithya, uh, where do you think Messi ends up? I honestly, I know everybody's talking about the Barcelona thing. More than Barcelona able to pull off. I, firstly, I don't think it happens. I don't think Barcelona can financially make it happen. I also don't think Messi is the kind of player who will take a huge pay cut, you know, to go back for emotional reasons. If it had to happen, he would have never left Barcelona. I'm not suggesting playing for free, but I don't think he'll even be going on a reduced salary to make it happen. He's just, I just don't think he is that uh, person. I also don't think it makes sense for Barcelona to sign him, considering where they want to be, the kind of football that Xavi is playing. And considering that the team is going forward and uh, getting past its past, uh, going ahead of its past burdens, I think getting Messi back will, again, put all the focus on Messi and probably restrict Xavi in implementing his vision. And thirdly, I think the money on the table and the fa- is just too much for, again, somebody like Messi to say no to and not go to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, in his mind, if you really think about he's achieved everything there is in football with Barcelona, in Europe, with Argentina, right? So maybe he chooses to just take But that then he also has a lot of money. So it's not like he needs money. Yeah. I mean, it's up to him, right? He can either make yeah. the monetary decision or uh, he can make the, uh, like the emotional decision and go back to the club which gave him everything from the age of 13. So, Correct, But I don't but think it's going to happen. Yeah, but I mean... The way the rumors are spreading right now, even Javi has come out and said they'll do everything to get Messi in public. I mean, uh, come so on, Javi course, cannot say anything else. But then it's just, I feel like if they've said that, they'll probably make everything to make that happen. It's always on Messi. It would be very interesting to see whether he chooses money and the comfortable life in Saudi Arabia where he just has to beat Ronaldo's team twice in a year. And, and Benzema's team, like, assuming... <laughs> assuming they're not in the same team, yes. of course. Yeah, so it's it's a comfortable decision, or it's the the hard one where he where the focus goes back on him in Barcelona to get them up, and he'll be blamed for everything which goes wrong, even though it's probably not on him to blame. So uh, we'll see what what happens. It'll be very interesting to see what happens with Messi. Moving away from Spain and France, back to the Premier League, where a lot of interesting transfer rumors have come up. First and foremost, Amamshu. It seems like Manchester United have agreed personal terms with Mason Mount and his team. It's all about now agreeing to a price with Chelsea. Do you see this deal happening? And secondly, is he the right signing for Manchester United? And I'll straight away say, I cannot believe that Pochettino would have given Chelsea the go-ahead to sell Mount. He seems like the kind of player Pochettino would have wanted to keep. The fact that all this news is out there is probably because Mount's camp might not be too keen on a renewal at Chelsea. Right. I think maybe Mount's camp also feels a lot of little bit of in, instability at Chelsea right now with a lot of indecisiveness. So maybe they're looking for a bit more clarity. I'm not saying that, that that's something he'll get at Manchester United because they are also in a bit of a confusion. But uh, maybe Mount just wants a change after many years at Chelsea, right? He is essentially Chelsea. Um, from the academy itself. So, But then, if you look at Chelsea, since John Terry, this is the one player that's who's come up from the academy who's made a substantial impact. And Reese uh, James. Ta- and Reese James and Tammy Abraham as well. But Tammy Abraham, of course, left. Uh, so, they'll hold on to Reese James mostly. But then, Mason Mount is probably thinking, hey, uh, you know, there's that position where Erickson is filling in right now as a number eight, who's old, who's just a little bit of a placeholder for someone younger to take up long term. So he sees that as a project 
while at Chelsea, he sees these bunch of players, you know, there's 30 odd players. He doesn't know what's going to happen to them, who's going to stay, who's going to, you know, leave. So maybe in that sense, he's he's probably preferring to explore this Manchester United option. I'm sure, of course, it's just rumors and nothing's done. Uh, David Onstein came out and said, Mount prefers United. Personal terms are not agreed, but they're not expected to be a problem. Uh, what is a problem, Aisha, I think is a fee that they set on him. On their balance sheet, of course, he's a player. Everybody's saying for... United are ready to pay up to 70 million to sign Mason Mount. So even if yeah, it's, but... let's say 50 million with some bonuses involved. Right. I mean, I tell it's you, of course 100% profit, if whatever they get out of him, right? Because I know, he's a but but I think that he's a great, great signing for Manchester United. I mean, I'll, I'll come to what I personally feel about the way Mount is thinking about this, but I think he's a great signing for United. I think in terms of quality, the fact that he can play as a number 10, he can play that role either side of your pivot. If you want him to play out wide in a couple of games, he can. And I think if he gets good coaching, he maybe he cannot be a Lampard and score 20 goals. But yeah, he can give you the 10 plus goals, you know, uh, every season. So basically, he can fill in for Bruno. He can play behind Bruno. And that intensity, I think, where you were missing in that midfield in the FA, in the, in the FA Cup final, he will, pro- he will be that one person who will again provide you that intensity. So I think he's a great, great signing for Manchester United if United can make it happen. Correct. I mean, no arguments there for for sure. Mount will be a good signing. It's just the monetary issue. But I mean, can they actually get the money to you know invest in Mount? Or will if like let's say Chelsea start haggling and then it goes to an amount they can't afford, then maybe United will look another way because there are quite a lot of young midfielders in the market right now. So that is the only problem I see. Of course, Mount's availability and United's suitability is number one is high in this situation. Now I'll tell you what I think about Mason Mount. Uh, I mean, as a player, there's not a lot to uh, a lot, a lot bad things to say about him. Uh, I mean, look, it's clear. I think the Chelsea hierarchy, the Chelsea management, they would have they would have been trying to renew his contract. And and as a Chelsea fan, I feel really, really pissed off that he's trying to leave the club to go to a rival when he's not particularly been treated badly by the club. I think if he looks right. himself in the mirror, the past season his performances have been really, really bad. Right. So and. With Pochettino coming in, um, I, I see no reason why he shouldn't stay at the club. Yes, he might not play Champions League final, but considering he's been a club person, uh, I really think he should. Uh, I mean, as a loyalist, he should have stayed. He's still 24. He's not 28 and who's seen everything and now can leave the club. You know, and secondly, I mean, yes, he's been at the club for a long time, but he's been a part of the first team now for, I think, four years. So again, it's not like he's given a lot back to the team in terms of the first team back. So... All this idea of like being a club loyalist and being a club man, I don't think he has fulfilled all of those criteria. I mean, mm-hmm. look at somebody like Reese James. If tomorrow Reese James says he wants to leave Chelsea, Real Madrid would be the first club knocking on his doors. And I think Reese James mm-hmm. also knows that. Mm-hmm. There are, they, they, have, they have made inquiries about him in the past also. But Reese James is still staying at Chelsea because he knows he's young. He can still see how things go under Pochettino for two or three more years and then make the decision in his career because he is a world-class player. He'll remain a world-class player. And I think and I think from nothing against Mason Mount, and that, but I, I, but I don't buy into the whole emotional aspect of oh he's Mr. Chelsea and he's Mr. Cobham and he's leaving the club after being a great servant. I don't buy into all of that. I think uh, four years in the first team is too less to say oh you were Mr. Something at a club. <laughs> a real situation of sour grapes happening here. Well, I was losing. <laughs> Moving on from Mason Mount, the, another rumor which we are hearing, and again, it's a rumor, is that Arsenal are going to bid for Declan Rice. And that Declan Rice, again, prefers Arsenal over Liverpool as his destination. Uh, what do you have to say about that? Uh, that is First of all, do you think Declan Rice's stock has gone down over the past year? 
Uh, no, I think it's just West Ham as a team has gone down, but not him. I have seen him play in, in the games that he's played against United and I've seen a couple of games as a neutral as well. Uh, Declan Rice has been doing pretty well. It's just that maybe one year is off his contract and there are a lot of other midfielders in the market right now. So maybe a little bit of his stock might have gone down. But as a leader and as that number eight, you know, I think he is still one of the best in the Premier League. Even in terms of stats, I've, I've seen a recent, uh, you know, uh, like uh, put together by David Ornstein, etc. He's actually one of the top midfielders in terms of, you know, uh, progressive passes and, you know, like just taking on midfielders. So I, I, the only people who compare with him in that list is proper wingers. So, you know, he's, he's done pretty well. So, and I think Arsenal, it'll be great if Arsenal get him. I really hope that doesn't happen. I hope he just leaves the Premier League, goes somewhere else because United can't afford him and he'll be anyway, he'll be great anywhere else. Will Arsenal play 100 million plus for him? Are Arsenal the kind of club who will play 100 million plus for any player? They had that money for Caicedo. They actually bid 70-80 for him and that didn't happen. And they got uh, Jorginho for very little money. So, I think they have the money to get uh, Declan Rice if they think he suits the project. So, wouldn't put it past them that they have 100 million. See, I also think uh, Declan Rice is a good player. But I'm not as high on him as you are or everybody else seems to be. Or that he's the English coming of France Beckenbauer. I really don't think. And I think 100 million, in spite of everything he's done, I think is very, very risky. I'll tell you, to me, he's at the same level as a Mason Mount. Just like when you say 60 million or 70 million for Mount, for you to, to you seems a steep price. For me, 100 million for Declan Rice seems an outlandish uh, amount of money. 100 million almost, to me, puts him in the league of Jude Bellingham. And and I, I don't think he simply has the attributes somebody like a Bellingham has. So I differ on you on the opinion. I definitely do think that he's going to be a great addition uh, to that Arsenal squad. And especially with Jaka going. Again, that's a role he can, you know, fill. And yep. at West Ham, a lot of times he has to sit back as that pivot in front of defence. But at Arsenal, maybe he'll have that freedom, you know, to go forward. And we have seen this past year that he can make those runs forward with the ball. Like kind of like how a Matteo, Matteo Kovacic does. So... He'll be a good signing, but yeah, I don't think he's the second coming of greatness as everybody else makes him out to be. Uh, moving on from Declan to the one transfer I think every Manchester United fan in the world has their eyes set on and they hope it happens is Harry Kane. He's again entered the final year of his contract. United again seem, seem to be the destination for him. Or at least people say he prefers Manchester United. Do you see this transfer happening this summer again? I don't think anything less than 100 million is going to be what Daniel Levy will agree for. It's it's actually confusing this one because you remember and when Kane he just had a 30 goal season so another 30 goal season feels like yeah I mean and in a very weak Tottenham team who have been doing so badly. Um for me I would love I love to see it happen. I just feel a number 9 is a big miss in the puzzle that we're kind of uh, building up right. Uh, but it's very confusing because when he was close to that Man City transfer, there were a lot of news from his camp and his camp has been silent. All the news or rumours has been coming from, you know, journalists and fans like us. Uh, so for that reason, I'm a little bit sceptical about what's really happening with Tottenham and Harry Kane. Uh, what if Tottenham... See, I mean, decide... that I think he's just trying to be, be Mr. Goody too. So I don't think Harry Kane is a guy who's going to openly push forward. I'm sure but behind he did the that. scenes he, he would did have... that with City, right? He did that with City. He came on that Gary Neville uh, podcast, the overlap episode with Gary Neville. He said a couple of things that he really wanted to, you know, explore other things. Tottenham are very clear on that as well. The gentleman's handshake, the news which came out, etc. But 
I just feel he's been very silent. I don't really know what's happening right now. Maybe he's of of course corrected himself and decided that he'll go the right way. Be silent about it until something really. Kane will always be happens. dignified. I don't think there is any. I don't think I'm pretty sure his camp has told Levy he wants to leave in the summer. Hmm. So I yeah, I really but... think he's going to if it's all about I think Daniel Levy now agreeing to let him go. Yeah, and let's say Tottenham decide hey he is a thirty goal. person per season he's going to give that next season regardless of what manager you bring in right because they had the worst of managers this season his skills and he still scored 30 is are those 30 goals and a potential champions league place worth to keep him and then let him go on a free transfer next season if they decide that i don't know it, it it's a possibility they just forced to force him to you know stay on but but here's my here's the but over here I don't think Tottenham anyway have a lot of saleable assets, right? If they keep Kane now, he becomes right. a free agent in January. Mm-hmm. And apart from Kane, I don't know who's the big money player they can sell. I mean, the only other player I can think of probably is Youngmin Son. And if they sell Son, I mean, then predict pretty much the team is over. So um, I think they will have to sell him this summer. For Manchester United, he's a no-brainer, right? I mean, even if it's hundred million, I think Kane easily has three good years ahead of him. Even at least three good years i'm saying as a striker and what he can do as a number 10 is i mean we can discuss that also he's a no brainer right if yep it's an rvp signing right similar to exactly, what he did with yeah. van persie he'll probably be good for two seasons van persie was good for just one though but yeah, yeah kane i think be... he i think he's he's yeah. a very smart player i think we have a lot of good years ahead of him i don't think he'll just break shearer's record i think mm-hmm. kane will push closer to 300 in the premier league yep and that'll be a good signing for united as well we really need a striker but but so the whole argument right for harry kane to leave tottenham is that he can win trophies right that's that's the logic everybody is saying and in tottenham he has no uh, chance of winning a trophy my only question is given the state of the premier league right now do we really think any team is ready to guarantee him a premier league title over manchester city i mean we know city will lose some one premier league title over the next 3 4 years but If he has to leave Tottenham for trophies, can he really pick one of these teams and say this is the team which will guarantee me a trophy? Because I can't say that okay, Arsenal will definitely win a Premier League in the next three four years, or United will win a Premier League, or Liverpool will win a league. Forget about Chelsea. You know who will win? Or a probably league Newcastle. Three years. I mean, Newcastle might be Bayern Munich. <laughs> Just has to leave England altogether, and then he'll win a season for sure. I mean, so yeah, I mean, do you think it's a sure shot that? I understand why United United are on the ascendancy, right? Manager, players are coming. He might be the final piece in the jigsaw, but still, United are not are still one or two seasons away from a proper Premier League title challenge, right? So, do do you really this whole part of like Harry Kane guaranteed title? Do you think it's going to happen if he leaves Tottenham? Yeah, I'll just give you a very bobo like example of what's recently happened. Uh, Tottenham bought Brian Hill from Sevilla. And in return, they gave Eric Lamela on see, loan. See, Sevilla, I'm uh, saying is separate. I understand. I mean, the the littering of players who have left Arsenal and Tottenham and, and won. But exactly. But if he like, leaves I Tottenham should... and he goes to United, do you think? I mean, United are guaranteeing him the trophy. You are saying, and I and forget. I mean, if Harry Kane wins the Carabao Cup or the FA Cup, I mean, there are going to be more memes than anything else about it. We are talking about the Premier League or the Champions League. It's really not a guarantee, right? I mean, if if he were joining City. we would have been sure that yes he's guaranteed success but now it's not guaranteed yeah. anymore is it correct he'll have to work for it there's no guarantee about any other club in the premier exactly, league except yeah. man city um he do really well to go to bayern munich or a psg or a real madrid there's more certainty there than at united 
Yeah, but I think he wants to get that Premier League record, and that's probably the reason he will not leave uh, England. Mm-hmm. Uh, one final thing on Kane, and I can totally see this happening. Daniel Levy says, you know what? No, Harry is not leaving. Uh, Harry has to stay, or you, or you know, other other clubs. He, the negotiation gets to his ego, and he's like, okay, if you're not paying hundred million, Harry does not leave. Kane becomes a free free agent, and maybe one year down the line, Lord forbid for you, things go wrong for Ten Hag. But suddenly Liverpool seem much closer to winning, or Arsenal seem much closer to winning, or through some uh, multiverse of madness type of thing, Chelsea seem much closer to winning, and then Kane might end up joining another club. That is, if if he does not leave this year, it's not a guarantee that when he becomes a free agent, he'll join Manchester United because again the lands, because we cannot say which team is closest to City, or will catch up with City. If he does not join United now, I think six months later the reality might be very different. Exactly. I mean, this is this is the season for him to move on, or in case he thinks for you know, United like is... to for for him to move on. Yeah, yeah, and of course, if he decides to stay just to see what happens with United, just to see what happens with even Arsenal, right? So he can leave on a free. You never know. It's it's one of those situations. Of course, even with the Chelsea, who's who not afraid to break bank for anyone. You never know if they are willing to break bank for a new, for a new number nine if things don't work out for him for them this season. As you like to say, Mamshu, I think all of these transfer rumors, they all remain to be seen and we'll be keeping a close, a close watch on them uh, over the coming two, two and a half months on Pints of Football. So there it was, our 13th episode in the bag. Thank you for taking out the time to listen to us. Please continue spreading the word about Pints of Football. You spreading the word is the only way we can grow. And also continue to engage with us uh, on Instagram. Uh, and as we speak, Himanshu is telling me that the number of views on our latest reel are increasing exponentially. So, please, please continue engaging with us and you can find us on Instagram uh, with the name Pines of Football. Until then, see you.